630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Riley drops back, looks, looks, dances, and throws, and he's going deep down the field. Oh, what a catch by Darrell Walker, who skips his way to the end zone. He'll drop it off to Pouillon, twist it back to McDavid, inside to Everly, reshot, score! 3-0 Jordan Everly from Connor McDavid, and the Oilers are pouring it on, Craig Anderson and the hapless Senators. And it's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. Now, Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Oilers and Eskimos, 630 Chet. What a first period for the Pittsburgh Penguins. They score thrice and lead the New York Rangers 3-0 after one. The Pens trying to go up 3-1 in that series. The Lightning are trying to close out the Red Wings. No score in that game. The second period about to start. Still to come later on. Anaheim is in Nashville. The Predators are up two games to one. And Chicago is at St. Louis trying to stay alive. The Blues have a 3-1 lead in that series. Blue Jays lead the Orioles 2-1 after two, and the Raptors lead the Pacers 24-17. That one late in the first quarter. We will keep you updated throughout this program. Thank you so much for tuning in tonight. It is Inside Sports on 630 Chet. It's 6.07. My name is Reed Wilkins, and we're going to jump right into our first guest who has already proclaimed the New York Rangers as finished. At least that's according to his Twitter account. It is former NHLer, now with Sirius XM NHL, Matthew Barnaby. Matthew, welcome to the show. How are you doing? Thank you. Yes, good old Twitter bites again, right? <laughs> Well, you you, you got to have those hot takes, right? But uh, I know you wouldn't just say something for the sake of saying it. So the you're no, the Rangers. I, I, this this is it, eh? That first period, you're finished with them. Yeah, I, I think going into the series, I, I picked the Pittsburgh Penguins, but at the end of the day, looking at the last game, Game Three, giving up or only getting 17 shots, not really creating on anything on Matt Murray. The the first time he was ever in the net for a playoff game, and then. A little disconcerting with the effort from a few of the guys. I, I'd say not everyone in whole, but uh, a few of the guys in the team and being down three to nothing after one against a pretty good Pittsburgh Penguins team with no effort. To me, that's the concerning thing. And uh, when I look at that team in the future, not great when you look at the prospect pool and what they have. But yes, I think this series is all done. It's interesting about the Rangers. If we look back at their recent his- history, Matthew. They've been a pretty good team. They've been to the Stanley Cup final. They were in the conference final. I guess you look at the other side of the ledger and say they've been in some pretty big games where they've been shut out or only scored a goal when when they needed to get some goals. I mean, does that get back to the effort thing? Does it? Do they rely on Lundqvist too much? What's going on there? I think they rely on Lundqvist a lot, and justifiably so. He's one of the best goaltenders in the world, and he is getting up there in age, so I think their window is closing. I think the concerning thing with New York is they made a run for it. They've had a very successful little run here in the last you know, three, four, five years. They've played a lot of hockey. They had a chance at winning a Stanley Cup, but at the same time they leveraged their future. They traded a lot of picks away to try to acquire Marty St. Louis and, and to get a Rick Nash into the the fold, they, they gave up some, some guys there as well. So I think when you try to make a run for it, you also try to leverage the future a bit, and I think they're going to be caught in their crosshairs. But I, I just look at maybe a Rick Nash, uh, his playoff non-success. I look at Chris Kreider that we expect to 
to take that next step in, in his game, and I, I don't think he's as good as many people believe or, or can be. And I look at the game tonight, I think the compete level, and I think his success in the playoffs is uh, not as, ex- as as good as we might expect. But New York has had a great run. This is nothing taken away from past years. I just don't. I, I just think that their their window is closing and closing very quickly. All right, well, the second period now underway, and the Penguins went right in off the opening faceoff and had a decent scoring opportunity, but no dice, so still 3 nothing for Pittsburgh. Let's, uh, Matthew Barnaby joining us on Inside Sports. Let's segue into another team that might be done tonight, and, and quite frankly, uh, I'm a little surprised because they've been the dominant franchise in the league for the last six years, and as good as St. Louis is, I still pick Chicago to uh, win this series. And, hey, maybe they'll pull off a 3-1 comeback. It seems to get done at least once a year. But dire straits for them going into St. Louis tonight, Matthew. If, if there's one team that can do it, it's certainly the Chicago Blackhawks. We know the offensive juggernaut that they have up front. It hasn't been there against St. Louis, who is a very well-coached team in Ken Hitchcock. They are a more dynamic team, I think, now. I think when you add the, the likes of a Jaden Schwartz and, and, and a Fabry, you know, a couple of that with a Tarasenko is one of the elite scorers in the league. We know that they have defense, and, and their defense as a whole is better than the Chicago Blackhawks. And, and the one question mark was Brian Elliott, and he's probably been the best goaltender uh, in the playoffs so far. So Chicago can do it. They've won it. They're, they're a dynasty team, whether they win this series or lose it. Uh, they're still a dynasty team. I did pick St. Louis in this series just because I think that the holes on defense for the Chicago Blackhawks in the salary cap era that they've had to move a lot of guys out um, has made this a, the weakest Chicago Blackhawks team in, like you said, the last six years, but nothing taken away from them. Three Stanley Cups, whether they lose or win tonight, will still consider them a dynasty team in this era. You referenced the power of goaltending, so I have to ask, in the late 90s with the Buffalo Sabres, what was it like to know you had Dominic Hasek playing behind you? <laughs> To me, everyone always asks me who the best goaltender I ever saw or, or grew up watching. And I grew up watching and playing against Marty Brodeur. I, I grew up watching Patrick Waugh. But to me, the best of all time was uh, Dominic Hasek. It wasn't the longevity that those guys had. And we can go back. There's many great goaltenders over the years. But for the span of, of the six and a half years that I played with Dominic, for the span of nine, ten years that I watched him, not only play with him, but watched him also on other teams. He, he stole his games, and there's something to be said. When you have a guy back there that you you know when you're down 2-1, to one, uh, that you can take that chance and go for a two-on-one, maybe give a shorthanded or, or a short uh, man chance against, an outnumbered man against, and you know he's going to make the save, we got that from Dominic every single night. So an amazing goalie, gave us the confidence to do the things that we needed to do, and for a, a very, I'd say an average, talented team that worked very hard, we accomplished a lot. I never won a Stanley Cup, but mainly because of the goaltending from Dominic. Yeah, well, you guys got pretty close, obviously. Uh, was was it true he hated to get scored on even in practice? Like he would get annoyed? I've heard that story. Is that an urban myth, or is there something to that? No, he was a nut bar. He was, he was crazy. He'd smash the stick in practice, and, and the trainers would come running out with a few more sticks for him. But, yeah, he hated. You could shoot it high. You could shoot it at his head. Uh, most goalies don't like shots going high because we shoot it pretty hard and don't like to get hit in the head. I mean, no one likes to. He was completely the opposite. He was a bizarro. He loved the shots high. He hated to get scored on, and he would snap. He'd come running out after you. But I think that competitive nature really made Dominic who he was. He was very unique to the position, didn't 
I wouldn't say he didn't have a style. He had his own style, and that was you never knew what he was going to do. I don't think Dominic knew what he was going to do half the time, and that's what made him unpredictable and also, to me, like I said, the greatest of all time. Matthew Barnaby joining us on Inside Sports. He's now with Sirius XM NHL. Matthew, I want to throw in a couple more here for you. Um, you were, uh, when you played, uh, loved by the, the fans of the team you were playing for, and I, I'm just going to be blunt here, really easy to hate <laughs> if if you were playing for uh, for the opposition. Uh, I mean, you got involved physically, and uh, I remember watching you. You weren't afraid to, uh, to lip off or, or irritate guys that way. Given that context, um, give me your thoughts on the uh, Andrew Shaw situation and the suspension that we saw shake down in the Chicago series. First of all, I love that you hated me. It means I was doing my job, and if you, if you liked me, then I wasn't doing my job. So I'll take that as a compliment, as crazy as that might sound for listeners out there. Uh, when I when I look at Andrew Saw, did, did I hear the same thing yelled at me from players and coaches over the years? Absolutely, 100%. Did I probably say it along the, the fighting words and say it to guys uh, along the way? Yeah, I'm, I'm sure I did. I said a lot of nasty things. Is it 2016? Is it a different era? Are we in a different uh, way of life where uh, we know uh, the difference, I, I think, between wrong and right, or at least uh, the generation that we live in and know how hurtful it is and, how, and, and know the camera, everything that goes along with it. Andrew Shaw, I like as a player. I like as a person. I think he's a tremendous athlete, and I think he's a big help to the Chicago Blackhawks. Unfortunately for him, he let his cool get the best of him, and we are in 2016. I, I can go back to the analogy that my mom used to, when, when she was pregnant with me, probably smoked in, in the labor room and in, in the waiting room waiting for her, her doctors to come. In 2016, we know it could kill you, and it's not the healthiest thing. So we change, we evolve, he has to evolve, he has to learn. He was very remorseful. I love that, uh, but at the end of the day, he hurt a lot of people and something that we can't. Uh, have as, as an NHL, as a as a big entity, and as a generation, he learned from it. Hopefully, uh, we'll move on from it. But he certainly deserved the suspension that he got. All right, and you're on in Edmonton, where we are. Uh, I, I, some people have dubbed it the the decade of darkness. Ten years in a row out of the playoffs. Six of the last seven in the bottom I three. I, I call it lottery luckness, is what I call yeah, it. There you go. Well, that, that 13.5%, baby. That's I can do the math for you. It was 115 last year. Uh, let, let me ask you this. I, I mean, Peter Shirelli comes in with no ties to previous draft picks. Uh, I yeah. mean, he, he started about a year ago. Um, the the There's a pretty common thinking. I'm not going to say everybody, but there's a pretty, pretty common thinking that one of the $6 million players, Hall, Nugent, Hopkins, or Eberle, is going to be moved this summer, maybe even two. Um, though, of course, you know, I, I certainly recognize their value, but I'm, I'm thinking that's probably going to happen. You're an outsider. You're not immersed in it here every day. Is it, is it yeah. time to part with one of those guys that had been, you know, the longest-serving, highest-paid Oilers, or how do you look at it? I, I think they're all tremendous players. I think they all have value, and I think depending on where you land in the lottery could determine – on who is the guy that is the one to leave Edmonton and the new building coming into town, which I heard is going to be absolutely beautiful and, and fun for everyone to watch. But I, I think it's certain, in knowing Peter Shirelli and, and how he wants to build his franchise, you have a ton of the same players. And until there is help on the back end, uh, this team will still start spinning his wheels and be in the same position. So he's a smart man. He's won a Stanley Cup. He recognizes that. He's seen a lot of great players, and he understands how to build a team 
to me, the guy that would probably be the one to go and the one that I thought would be the one to go earlier on until uh, the Johansson trade was made for Seth Jones, which I thought made sense for Edmonton and Nashville at the time to add that number one center, uh, to me is Ryan Newton Hopkins. I think he adds a lot to a, a team. Uh, yes, a high cap hit, but at the same time, I think you could probably bring back a defenseman and go get what you need. Uh, but I think a lot depends. I think it will be at the draft or soon thereafter, depending on where they draft in the lottery. Do they get the number one pick, get Austin Matthews, or do they get the two or three pick and get PRV or Lion A, or do they even slide down a little bit uh, later? I think a lot depends on there. If they get the number one pick, certainly it's a center that goes. If they get the two or three pick, it could be a winger. But the deficiency is on the back end. They need to get a guy on the back end to help this team to make the forwards even better. But the future is bright in Edmonton. I know we've heard that for a long, long time, guys. But at the end of the day, until they help the back end, the top guys will not be producing much. Matthew, thanks for being so generous with your time tonight. And I've got uh, half and half texts loving you and hating you. So there you go. You're still at it, buddy. (laughs) I want it 60-40 hating, and then we'll love it. (laughs) See you soon, man. Thanks, guys. That is Matthew Barnaby checking in tonight, former NHL player and now with Sirius XM NHL. Cool to have him on the show, and uh, I will get to a couple of texts that rolled in during his appearance. Of course, you can always text at 630-630. You can call in 780-496-0063 as well. It's 619. This is Matt Hendricks from your Edmonton Oilers, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Oilers Radio, 630 Ched. Matt Hendricks will play for the United States at the upcoming World Hockey Championship. By the way, Scott Lawton from the Philadelphia Flyers injured last night, taken out of the game on a stretcher. He has been released from hospital. He is uh, doing well, the Philadelphia Flyers say, but he is not going with the team to Washington for Game 5. All right. Couple of uh, texts to six thirty six thirty. Matthew Barnaby just on the show. These are uh, this is amazing. These came in two minutes apart. Sean says Barnaby never an oiler, always a potato head. And then another texter says Barnaby should have been an oiler. Love that guy. (laughs) That's exactly the type of player Matthew Barnaby wanted to be. So there you go. Of course, you can always text six thirty six thirty. Also got an email from. one of my most loyal and, quite frankly, uh, angriest emailers, Neil. He says, Reed, why are you still harping on that Shaw stuff? Leave it alone. Hey, man. If you're interviewing one of the guys who was the mouthiest players of his era, I think it's, it's relevant what he thinks about what Andrew Shaw did. Okay, Neil? They always said, think before you text or email. That's all I ask. Just think. You're allowed to be upset. You're allowed to disagree. Just asking to use your brain before you use your fingers. That's all. All right. Here's what's going on. And it's not good for the New York Rangers. 4 nothing for the Penguins. About six minutes into the second period. They're up 2-1 in the series. Still no score. Red Wings and Lightning halfway through the game. The Ducks... Getzlaff, early goal for them as they lead the Predators 1-0 about eight minutes in. Blackhawks and Blues 
coming up a little bit later on. We'll keep you updated throughout the evening. All right, still ahead tonight, we'll talk about the Sharks and the Kings with Dan Rusinowski. He's the play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks. Brian Ramsey is going to join us as well. He is the executive director of the Canadian Football League Players Association, and the league has a brand-new drug drug policy, certainly stricter than what they've had before. Uh, There's going to be tons of random tests throughout the season. So he'll shine some light on that. And, of course, he played for the Edmonton Eskimos last year and won the Grey Cup. World curling champion Mark Kennedy slated to join us as well. Always great to have him on the show. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer tonight. Kellen, how are you doing, buddy? Doing pretty good. How are you doing, Reed? Doing good. Got a fun show ahead. Oh, Strap in, eh? Action-packed. Don't go anywhere. <laughs> totally action-packed. Randy Kilbert has the 6.30 news. Then we're back with Dan Rusinowski to talk Sharks and Kings. Thanks for tuning in tonight. You're listening to 630 Ched Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Brian Dumoulin out here on board with Ben Lovejoy, and Ben Lovejoy takes the bat, skates the right wing, coming to the Rangers in. A long shot, save made, rebound, score! The Penguins have scored on the rebound. Fair, I think, will get the goal, and the Penguins strike first and take a 1 nothing lead. That was finders, keepers, losers, weepers there as Fair came bursting down the center of the alley here, coming to the Rangers net, and he gets the rebound on the shot by Ben Lovejoy. Well, that got the ball rolling for the Penguins tonight. That was an early one by Fair. They've added three more. Uh, Lundquist out of the game, and it's uh, 4 nothing for the Penguins halfway through. Still no score. Red Wings and Lightning, and the Ducks lead the Predators 1-0 in the first. One of the great play-by-play calls from last night they send it back to the point. Dowdy winds up, shoots toward the net, blocked by Couture. Rebound, sent in front, off of Kopitar. Now it's back to the point. Dowdy, six seconds to go. Muzzin the shot, and it's blocked. It goes wide. Three seconds to go. Two, one, shot by Muzzin, blocked, and the Sharks win. A furious finish in San Jose, and the Sharks are now up 3-1 on the Los Angeles Kings with a chance to close it out and pleased to bring in the voice of the San Jose Sharks, Dan Rusinowski. Dan, you're on with Reed. Welcome back to 630. Chad, how are you doing, sir? Doing great, Reed. How are you? Oh, uh, doing doing very well. Uh, man, what? <laughs> Play, playing that clip, and uh, I, I watched... Uh, I watched the third period of that game last night, and it was like, okay, I'll maybe just have it on in the background. It's a pretty comfortable lead. Oh, maybe I should watch a little more close. Oh, maybe I should watch really closely. SLA made it really interesting there in the third. Boy, it sure did. What a dramatic finish for the Sharks, and of course, what a boost to their confidence, and what a uh, a great example of what they've learned already within the small confines of this playoff series against the Kings. Um, they proved a lot to themselves last night, but now they know they've got the hardest job yet to win the fourth game of the series against a pretty proud hockey club. Um, well, yeah, and, and let me ask you this. I, I mean, the teams change. The rosters change every year. Having said that, there is a recent history between these two teams, and you know the labels that have been put in on the, the Sharks, uh, you know, in other years, Dan. They, they, they choke, they can't get it done, all that kind of stuff. They blew the 3 nothing lead against the Kings. Is that figuring into this series? Is that still hovering over these two teams? How do you perceive that? 
No, I wouldn't say that that way. In fact, I think Pete DeBoer, the coach of this team, who's one of the many new faces with the Sharks, is saying something entirely different. He's looking at the guys in the roster and saying, write your own history. This is a different team. Yes, there's some same players that are from that club, but there are different players on the Kings side, too. It's totally different. You can write your own history. And they're doing that. Uh, they're, they're certainly learning from what happened to them individually. I think that's probably more of the case. But uh, but that's something that's been more of a positive for this team. And I, I think that, you know, it's one of those things you have to deal with some of those disappointments in order to bank the savings of information that you need to actually become a championship player. And that's exactly what the Sharks are trying to do together. Well, and, and you mentioned Peter DeBoer, and I, I know I've talked about him earlier in the season, and it, it figures into Edmonton's storyline since Todd McClellan was in San Jose and, and DeBoer uh, wound up taking over the Sharks. And, and look, I, I, think, I think you're on the same page as me. By no means do I think Todd McClellan is a bad coach, but seven years is a long time for one, for, for one coach to be in one place. What do you think has been the primary influence uh, of DeBoer on, on the Sharks, and I guess, you know, my, my sub-question to that is, is, is it an off-ice attitude as much as on-ice play? Uh, first of all, Todd McClellan is not a bad coach. He's an outstanding coach, and he's the winningest coach in the history of the Sharks franchise. That's the first thing. Second thing is that he and Pete DeBoer have worked very closely together. In fact, they won a gold medal together with uh, Team Canada in the World Championships, and they've worked together in several other uh, aspects for the national organization. And third, I think that they have some of the same messages. But um, one thing, again, it's a different hockey team. Um, Todd McClellan never had Paul Martin or Joel Ward or Martin Jones uh, in his stable of players. Pete DeBoer does. I think those guys have made big differences to the team. Jonas Donskoy is a great pickup by Doug Wilson over the summer, um, somebody that was drafted by Florida but not signed. And he wanted to come to San Jose, and he's really proved himself as a valuable member of this team. Uh, so, you know, there are a lot of differences, and I, I'd say that the Sharks came close a number of times when Todd was the coach. He, uh, they won the President's Trophy. They were the best overall team in the NHL that particular year, and their season fizzled out in the playoffs that particular season. Uh, another year they went to the conference finals, um, you know, did a great job, certainly against Vancouver. That was in 2011, the year before that against the Blackhawks. So let's not uh, let's not discount everything that uh, that's happened in the past. I think that those are all building blocks to where they are now. But what Pete's done is is he's really brought a, a just sort of a fresh approach. He slightly changed the style of hockey that he wants his team to play. The defense is a little bit more aggressive. He's got a little more depth to work four lines, which is sort of a reflection of what Todd wanted to do when he was here. And so I, I'd say that there's connection between the two, certainly, and respect between the two, and there's certainly respect for Todd here. Uh, you mentioned Martin Jones, and uh, I, I've never seen a team go very far in the playoffs without uh, a goaltender. And I thought the Sharks, uh, you know, again, had a good goaltender in, in the Emmy, but the, the, the change was made. You saw Jones, uh, you know, as a, as a Sharks opponent when he was with the Los Angeles Kings. He's been thrown into the, the, the playoffs here. Certainly so far so good. Certainly a guy who's been able to maintain the reputation he'd started building for himself as a king. Well, I first saw Martin Jones playing in the American Hockey League right after he had left the Calgary Hitmen, and he was playing for the Manchester Monarchs, and it was one of those trips where we were in Boston, and the Sharks affiliate was in Worcester, and so we just took the 45-minute trip out with a couple of the guys to watch a game on an off night, 
And I saw Martin Jones then, and I said, this guy's got the chance to be really, really good. He's just so fluid in the net. He's very calm. Nothing seems to bother him. He's always in position. He seems to have good communication with his teammates. And those are all characteristics that I've seen all season long. I think he's developing the, the techniques that are needed to become uh, just a great goaltender in this league for a long, long time. And he's only at the beginning of his starting goaltending career. So it's really exciting to see the development of this young man. And, of course, the, the added motivation right now is he has a chance to to beat up on his old team is another thing that's entering into Game 5 tomorrow. Yeah, for sure. Dan Rusinowski joining us from the San Jose Sharks broadcast booth as the Sharks have gone up 3-1. Dan, I'm going to ask you one of those questions where uh, I I know you might say, well, if I knew the answer, I'd be a millionaire, but I'm (laughs) going to ask it anyway. What was going on with with the Sharks' home ice record this season, I mean, even late in the season, a, a nothing game for the Edmonton Oilers and a big game for the San Jose Sharks, and the Oilers got six goals over the last uh, two periods. I, I mean, I, I I don't know. Was there something at home? Have, have have they found an adequate solution internally? Do you think what happened? I, I think it's a variety of factors. The first thing you notice in the series with the Kings is that when the schedule is all even, that is the Sharks and Los Angeles both have the same schedule constraints, things are a little bit different. Uh, you may remember that the Sharks went through a really hellacious couple of months where they were doing all sorts of traveling, then they would come back and play a couple quick home games. I think the other factor, too, is that for whatever reason, the last year, year and a half or so, um, San Jose has done a, a better job against teams that they perceived as above them in the standings or equal to them. And if you look at uh, this season, even in the second half of the year, I think they were 5-2-1 and one against in the last eight games against playoff teams. And they didn't do as well against teams that, that weren't in the playoffs. So for whatever reason, I can't figure out why, but uh, but it's all water under the bridge, over the dam, through the river, whatever. <laughs> Um, it's 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 totally meaningless when it comes to the Stanley Cup playoffs because, as we all know, Reed, once you get to the postseason, you throw all those statistics out the window. Well, see, the thing is, Dan, though, if, if they if they wouldn't have won that game last night, though, then then the home ice is still a story, right? Well, no, not really. And you, you don't know think why? so, eh? Because no, well, it, it would come out and be be a story because the loss happened to be at home. Um, but it's more of a coincidence in my mind because of the, the type of hockey that we're watching. We're watching great games between two outstanding teams. And, you know, the Sharks in the first three games could have won all three. They could have lost all three. That's, that's really how close this series is. And, you know, you look at the one-goal differences in the games, and that's really pretty accurate. So um, it, it really is that razor-thin close. And so that's not, the, not an issue to say, well, there's a problem at home. It's just a, a case of the luck of the draw where you are. All right. Dan, before I let you go, so uh, game, uh, where are we at? game five coming up, uh, obviously. Give me a couple of keys here for the Sharks. What do they have to do to end this in five? The first thing they need, obviously, is, is to do everything that they did in Game 4, and that is have consistency through four lines and through three sets of defensemen. They didn't have that in Game Number 3, and it cost them when it really mattered. Special teams was a big issue in Game 4. They had a problem in Game Number 3. They were over 5 on the power play. They scored three power play goals. One of the great things about this team this season has been they've been able to fix the problems very quickly when they've seen them, and I think that that's something that... Uh, that they've been able to deal with on the fly. That is, if something goes wrong, you're able to make an adjustment. But I'd say that consistency with, of course, strong goaltending from Martin Jones, discipline, and taking advantage of whatever opportunities you have thrown at you and being as opportunistic as possible are probably the 
the main ingredients for victory. All right. Well, it's going to be another fun one. That has been a really good series to watch. Dan, I know you had a, a busy day, busy time during the playoffs for you. Thanks, as always, for making time for us on 630 Chat. I hope we can talk again soon. Anytime, Reed. We'll talk soon. Right on. That is Dan Rusinowski checking in tonight, the play-by-play voice for the San Jose Sharks. That has been, uh, yeah, a really good series, like I said. It is 645. You can text us to 630-630. The phone number is 780-496-0063. Inside Sports continues. Mark Kennedy still ahead as well. We're also going to talk about uh, a big collectibles show coming up in the Capital Region as we move along tonight. You're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. All right, I'm just, I'm just going to go off on a little bit of a, a, a tangent here. Uh, as you know, old, old Wilkie loves all of you. He loves talking to you. It's, it's really a joy of this job to get to talk sports with, uh, with people every night. Uh, but as you know, Kellen Kennedy, I am prone to getting a little little irritated sometimes. Uh, just a little. <laughs> and, and, and as you know, we receive, uh, the, the, the text line has been, it's a jungle sometimes. Oh, yes. Right? Like you can't, and we don't, we don't, uh, we don't read everything. Absolutely, yeah. Um, well, we, we, we do read everything that comes in, but there's, there's things we can read on air and there's things we can't read on air, obviously. Right. And I yeah. mean, whether it's filtered for just for time, for language, for mm-hmm. being off topic, and not, not everybody's comment is going is is to get on air. That's just mm-hmm. the reality of it. Um, but but I, I read an email from, uh, from Neil, who is probably the most frequent emailer that actually emails inside sports at 630chat.com. Mm-hmm. Um, so he yesterday he said that um, before we had I, I don't have his email anymore so I'll, I'll remember it as best I can. We talked about the Andrew Shaw thing, and he said you know people should be allowed to express those emotions, you know, and it's just human nature to get angry. And before we had all this political uh, respect kind of stuff, um, you know, we didn't have school shootings. And people flying planes into buildings. That's mm. how that's how Neil put it. So he was drawing he was drawing a connection between. Uh, I, I guess I guess his argument is that if we just were allowed to be more angry when we were angry, we wouldn't have terrorism. Mm. All right. So I, I you know fine. I'm happy to read that opinion, even though I don't agree with it. Uh, he emailed me again tonight and he said, "Get off the get off the Shaw thing, right? Like you quit talking about it." Because I asked Matthew Barnaby one question about it. Mm. And I replied, I said, Neil, I think it's fitting to ask Matthew Barnaby that question, given he was a super pest. Oh, absolutely. Super mouthy in his day. Commonly, uh, he's, if you ask any hockey expert, he's up in the top five of uh, super pests that have played in the league. Right. You know. So, so anyway, so Neil wrote a reply to that that I didn't read. And, and now Neil has e- emailed me again, and he says, I didn't think you would air that typical media one-sided. Neil, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read the email that I initially chose not to read, okay? And I'm just going to read it, and people can text me to 630-630 whether you think we should read any more of Neil's emails on air. I'm going to, still going to get them to my inbox, and I'll have to read them myself. Um, but I'm going to let the, the majority of the listeners who want to text 630-630 uh, decide. 
Is that fair enough, Kellen? We're going to do oh. this. We're going to, you know, do this I, as, as democratically as we can. I, I think because Neil is more thinks than I'm fair, being yeah. a one-sided dictator. I think this is more than fair. Which, for which sure. by the way, is my is part of my job to mm. decide what goes on air and, and what what doesn't. But that's but that's that's fine. And again, the name of the show is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, which, which is fine. Yeah. Which which is which is fine. Mm. So, I I just want people to listen to this carefully. Now, this is Neil, who has said that who is who has at least partially blaming terrorist activities uh, on political correctness and the fact that we're trying to phase certain words like the one Andrew Shaw used out of society. All right, that's his connection he's he's making there. Now he says, uh, "Love it, Reed. I get it, but it's done and over now. Let's move on. We can't say certain things, but we can sure kill thousands of unborn babies. Which is worse?" So now Neil has turned Andrew Shaw's comment into some kind of a statement on abortion, which I don't know how we're possibly making this connection on a sports show. So again, I, I will leave it to the listenership of 630-630 if we acknowledge Neil anymore moving forward. Fair enough? Fair. All right. I'll just leave it at that. Uh, Matthew Barnaby commented that uh, he would, uh, if it were him, if he got to be the general manager of the Oilers for a day, uh, he would trade Ryan Nugent Hopkins. If, if, if one, of the, one of the $6 million men have to go, he, he said Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Uh, text here says the Oilers should trade Taylor Hall and keep Ryan Nugent Hopkins. Um, one of, I, I think one of them is going to go. I think one of them is going to go. I, th- I, I think from looking at the types of teams Peter Shirelli has had in the past, I, I would th- my guess would be that it's going to be Jordan Eberle. Because I think you can still get a, a decent... Like you're going to get the most for Taylor Hall, but he also takes the most out of your lineup. And you look, I, I know a lot of you don't like Taylor Hall. I don't want to start that debate tonight, but he also takes the most out of your lineup. I, I would think, you know, if I I can't read Peter Shirelli's mind, but if I can read the way he's assembled teams before, uh, you know, I would think he would be willing to sacrifice Jordan Eberle if he can get a defenseman of value in return. Now, it's not going to be easy to make the trade. Here's the thing with Everly. I think he's a very good shooter. I think he wants to play with Connor McDavid. Uh, I think he worked on his forechecking, especially over the final 20 games of the season. We clearly saw some extreme defensive errors at times. But guys who can put the puck in the net are always valuable, right? I mean, you got to score. And, and look at the guys, offensive players who have got second, third, fourth chances with teams simply because they can score. We're going to go through a playoff, and I've said this before, we're going to go a we're going to go through a playoff run here where somebody's going to be disappointed, right? Some teams are already on the verge of it, and some teams are probably going to think, "Man, if we just had a guy who could have finished that or could have helped our power play when we needed a goal." Maybe Everly becomes appealing to a team like that. The price point for Everly, probably, you know, a little higher than what he would get than if you just wiped out everybody's contract and repaid them all this summer. But it would be my guess that Shirelli would part 
with the winger before he would part with the center. And that he recognizes the, the value of Taylor Hall. That would be my April 21st prediction. That's all I'm saying. Uh, it, is, uh, it is unanimous on the text line that Neil's thoughts are no longer a part of Inside Sports. Appreciate that, everybody who texted 630-630. And I didn't even count my own vote, Kellen. We're coming up to the 7 o'clock news. Still ahead, Mark Kennedy. We'll keep you updated on the scoreboard. It's a rough night for the Rangers so far. We'll uh, touch on the new drug policy for the CFL and the CFL Players Association as well with Brian Ramsey. He's going to tell you, man, a lot of guys could potentially get tested this year for performance-enhancing drugs. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.